Never. Prahrishyet rejoices. Priyam, the pleasant. Prapya, achieving. Na, does not. Udvijet, become agitated. Prapya, obtaining. Cha, also. Apriyam. So what does prahrishyat mean? Rejoicing. And um, how about priyam? No looking, you can't look. Prapya. I'm saying, so the prahrishyat priyam prapya is the first line. Again, prapya means? Say what? Okay. To achieve something, to okay. So now, what is the first line saying? In essence, use the microphone. Though, don't all shout at once. Just one person say it. A representative. Choose a representative amongst you, like Sudha Goswami. One who doesn't rejoice after achieving something pleasant. Yes. Well, can you give an example? Of somebody, like something that somebody would consider pleasant, and then uh, they receive it and they don't rejoice, even though it's something good? Maybe if you got a raise. <laughs> okay, you got a raise. And then, uh, okay, well, it's just you're working, and I say, uh, okay, we're giving you a raise. And what do you say? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Okay, no... No vijet. So there's na and udvijet together. It becomes no vijet by Sunday rules. The uh, the a and the u uh, become an o, so that it becomes uh, apparently one word, which is no vijet. Everyone say. Does not become agitated. Prapya, obtaining. Cha. Also. Aprium, the unpleasant, the, the unpleasant, yes. So again, cha and aprium become chapriam. So also the unpleasant. What does chapriam mean? Also the unpleasant. So we've talked about the pleasant, right? What is the word for that? Priam. And what about unpleasant? Aprium. So priam and aprium. These two things come. What's an example? Well, first of all, what does the second line say? Sutta? Sutta Goswami? <laughs> Who's going to say? Um, the second line says that um, also somebody that doesn't get affected also by the unpleasant, that does not become agitated also by the unpleasant. Yes. So... You attain something pleasant, and then you don't rejoice. 
or you achieve something unpleasant and you don't become agitated. So what's an example of something that's unpleasant? Get fired. <laughs> okay. You're fired. Okay. <laughs> Why is it okay? Okay. It's okay because you don't get agitated by the unpleasant. I know you don't become agitated. That's a tautology, but we can look that up. But uh, yes? Because you are self-intelligent and unbewildered. Okay, well, we're getting there, yes. <laughs> You're self-intelligent and unbewildered, but give me the essence of why somebody would not be elated when they get something priam, good, and uh, agitated when they miss something. Give us the philosophy behind it. Because they're... They know that all of those things are actually external and temporary and not who they are. Their, their state of mind is not functional of that. Okay. They're, functional they're functionally independent of those things. Functionally independent. Very good. They're situated, you know. They, they, in, what, in what way? They're situated in the self. They know who they are and um, that they are part of Krishna. Whatever happens is fine. Just go with the flow. Go with the flow, eh? Okay, yes. We have a few more. Yeah, this verse reminds me of a verse in, in Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, Matrusparsasu Kaunteya. Like Krishna says, you know, like happiness, distress, these are non-permanent. Like, you know, they're like... Seasons. This is more evidence to the yeah. state of mind, but I want to get the yeah, philosophy. So, Why? Why is it that a person feels... Kautakarnika has a... Because uh, it's, just a, it's just a job. I will get another one. We get another one. Okay. Prabhu? The person doesn't seize these things, you know. Uh, I mean, they see that they are the material things and they don't get attached to them. This person, who is a person? When you get a raise, you don't get, a, you don't get happy? When you get fired, how do you feel? Fine, right? Do you just say, okay? It, it impacts is that materially. Right? You don't mind? Huh? It impacts materially, but if you see spiritually, it doesn't matter. Okay. And we're just, what does it mean to see spiritually? One, two. To know Three. that uh, material senses are just interacting with their uh, objects, um, okay. or our senses are reacting to the objects that are available. Is that how you see it? Here, one, two. Because one is self-satisfied with whatever position they're in, and also that they know that this is just temporary and Krishna has got their back. So. Have you experienced that? You ever been fired? <laughs> Have you ever attained something pleasant and you, and you didn't rejoice? Because you thought, well, it just came of its own accord. It could go at any time. Yes. Yes? Can you think of an example? You think of an example where we're moving on. So I would just take it at whatever Lord desires, you know, for me. I would just go by that. Yeah. And um, like you asked her about getting fired. So I have that experience and also getting a job. Yeah. So after getting fired, I realized I became more careful. So I never rejoiced after getting a job or even raises. Uh -huh. So ne things are never as good as they seem or as bad as they seem. Yeah. <laughs> things even out here in the material world. Yeah. yeah? Yes. Okay. So next one, stira. Stira buddhi. Self-intelligent. Samudha, unbewildered, 
Brahmavit, one who knows the Supreme perfectly. Brahmani, in the transcendence. Stitaha. So, what does stita buddhir asamudho mean? Where's our representative? Somebody say. One who knows the Supreme perfectly is self-intelligent and unbewildered. Yes, uh, just the line, stira bhūdhira samūdho. What's stira bhūdhi asamūdho? Self-intelligent and unbewildered. Self-intelligent and unbewildered. What does that mean? Yes? Somebody don't freaks out when situation turns. They don't freak out. <laughs> okay, give a verse about where Krishna talks about being stira, steady. Yes, five ten. Okay, go ahead. Give her the mic. Show us five ten. For five hundred. Go ahead. So, uh, Krishna says in this verse that someone who is uh, situated is someone who is not affected by externals is like a lotus. Uh, so the lotus, even though... Like, yes. The drop on the... So the, show the translation. This translation is an analogy Krishna gives, one who performs his duty without attachment, surrendering the results unto the Supreme Lord is unaffected by sinful action, as a lotus leaf is untouched by water. So a lotus leaves in the water, but it doesn't become affected by it, because the water just beads right off. So why is this person uh, doing uh, the duty? Um, why are they not affected? That's the question, according to this verse. Yes, Jamuna. When you understand that Krishna is in control and giving you the results of your activities, you can't really see the big picture of what is actually good, what is bad. And so anything that happens, you just have to see their gifts for you to increase your Krishna consciousness. That's a very commonsensical and helpful explanation. So, yes, if you see that Krishna is in charge of the results, and we can't see the big picture, but Krishna can, and we, we may get something good or something bad. The bad may turn out to be better than the good in the future. You get the good and they say, oh no, guess what? The IRS are knocking. They want, our, they want their cut and a lot more too. <laughs> Whatever it is, we don't know how it's going to uh, come out. And here in this verse, uh, Krishna says, Brahman yadaya karmani sangam tyakva karotiya. So sangam tyakva karotiya means that the person gives up connection with the result of the work. It's not attached saying it's not my result because I'm only working for Krishna. And a good example of this is a bank teller. Bank teller may handle millions of dollars every day, but he or she doesn't think, oh, when somebody comes and makes withdrawal, doesn't think, oh no, I just lost money. Or when somebody puts some money in, says, here's another million, the bank teller doesn't think, oh, now I'm rich. 
because sangam tyakva karotiya, that person isn't attached to to the comings and goings of the uh, fruit, because here she thinks it's not mine. Yes, rupa manjari. So I, I personally have not experienced this position of being um, un, not rejoicing or not. Every time I get fired, I'm sad. And every time I get a job, I'm happy. That's, but I have seen um, some great Vaishnavs that if somebody comes and gives them like a really big donation that you think a normal person would be super happy about, but they somehow know that that donation is being given in a sense of prestige, even though they're accepting it for Krishna's service, they don't react very much. They're like, oh, okay, thank you, but in a kind of courteous way. But then if somebody else comes and gives them like, you know, just a few rupees, but that person is really like, I really want to give this to you, I really want to give this to Krishna, then they rejoice. So like, I've, that's, that's my experience of, from, from so the third it, person. So explain the phenomena. Why is it that they're happy? This is a... Uh, because that second action is not like a material is not like some pleasant thing in a material sense. It's actually pleasant in a spiritual sense because that person has devotion, and they're very happy that this person has made such a great. So this is an important endeavor. point that she's making because it's not that a transcendentalist is just indifferent to everything. It's not that transcendentalist becomes a dull stone, and nothing matters anymore. There are things that matter. But the things that matter for the transcendentalists are the things that please Krishna's senses. And if the transcendentalist notices that somebody is given something and it's meant for Krishna, then he becomes happy. And if he sees an offense or some material motivation, then the transcendentalist is not so impressed or is annoyed by it, by the 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 feeling of, of somebody offering something uh, for self-aggrandizement. But this is, a, this is described by Kaviraj Goswami in the Chaitanya Charitamrita as being the comparison of metals. There's iron and there's gold. So they're both metal. But one of them is very valuable and the other one is not so valuable. And in a similar way, one may have some desire Everyone has some desire. Krishna confirms this in the Gita. But if the desire is for pleasing Krishna's senses, then that's like gold. And if it's the desire is for pleasing one's own senses, this is like iron. So in a similar circumstance, a, a devotee may become happy because he's, he or she sees that the activity is pleasing to Krishna. Okay? Are you satisfied or not? I guess I just would say I didn't see them getting annoyed exactly. I never saw them getting annoyed. <laughs> well, More like just neutral, this neutral stira. The devotees, when Ramachandra Puri came and began criticizing Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the devotees became annoyed. When Balava came and tried to assert himself as knowing more than Sridhar Swami, then... Uh, the devotees became annoyed. So the devotees do get annoyed. I mean, I'm not disputing the fact that you didn't see it. I wasn't exactly saying that. I was just saying that there is a way in which devotees feel this sense of repulsion and also attr attraction, but it's a different kind. It's in a different category. 
It's not like the materialist who's worried about his or her own senses. It's because the devotee's worried about Krishna's senses. So, for instance, if a devotee becomes disappointed because the book distribution score wasn't big enough, there's two ways that it could be processed. One is because of now I don't get the credit. I wanted to be the top person. And the other one might be because, well, I wanted to please Prabhupada by offering a bigger score, and I know he would have been pleased, and so I'm a little disappointed that we didn't make it. So if it's for myself, then that's a material consideration for my own sense gratification. It's going to make me look good. And for that, there's there's some attachment to a material concepts, and therefore there's some reaction. But if it's for Krishna, there can be similar, uh, there's a verisimilitude, there's a way, look it up. And did you look up tautology? Tautology. You can't look it up in there, you find a dictionary. Verisimilitude and tautology, tautology. Okay. So now let's read the purport and the translation. One who performs... Oh, wait a minute. This isn't the verse. We want 520. I mean, it's a verse. A person who neither rejoices upon achieving something pleasant nor laments upon ob obtaining something unpleasant, who is self-intelligent, who is unbewildered, and who knows the science of God is already situated in transcendence. Purport. Are you all ready to listen with rapt attention? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. I'm not convinced. Yes. The symptoms of the self-realized person are given herein. The first symptom is that he is not illusioned by the false identification of the body with his true self. He knows perfectly well that he is not this body, but is the fragmental portion of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is therefore not joyful in achieving something, nor does he lament in losing anything which is related to his body. This steadiness of mind is called sthirabhuti, called what? Or self-intelligence. He is therefore never bewildered by mistaking the gross body for the soul, nor does he accept the body as permanent and disregard the existence of the soul. This knowledge elevates him to the station of knowing the complete science of the absolute truth, namely Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan. What is a verse from the Bhagavatam which describes these three categories of the absolute truth? Vadanti tat tatvavidas tatvam yajjana madvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti shabdhyate. If you don't know the verse, you better find it, look it up, and learn it. And a good way to learn it is to write it on a large card if you have any wall space. You can get some painter's tape so it doesn't stick to the wall permanently. And you can put those up around your room in your living space. And then when you see them every day and you recite them, they'll start to go in your mind. What do you think? You want to try it? Okay. He thus knows his constitutional position perfectly well without falsely trying to become one with the Supreme in all respects. 
This is called Brahman realization or self-realization. Such steady consciousness is called Krishna consciousness. Let me ask you a question. Is steady consciousness, as described here, also called Krishna consciousness? You would equate the two? You would? Okay. How about... Um, what is it about the, 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 the devotee? What is a devotee not mistake? What, what mistake does a devotee not make which helps the, helps the devotee to be steady? What is the big mistake that somebody might make? Krishna. It, he does not try to become one with the Supreme. Yes. And what's the other big mistake? Yes? Identifying the gross body as oneself. Identifying the gross body as oneself. This is the big mistake. Because if I think that I'm the gross body and, uh, and I'm not, then I'm misidentifying myself. I, I'm pretending to be something that I'm not. And that could be troublesome, right? Yeah. So, yes. I was remembering the analogy that Prabhupada usually gives about the jailer and um, the, in, the inmate in the jail. The jail, uh, the inmate in the jail, when, even if he gets a little bit of AC or, you know, um, you know, gets a better place to stay, a person who really realizes that, oh, I'm not going to stay here for long, so he's not going to be excited about whether he gets a wonderful bed or AC or whatever, good food and stuff like that. So I was just trying to connect. What if he gets a set of Bhagavatams, though? <laughs> Because I've seen that. Yes. I've been in a prison, and I, I met a devotee who's in prison for life. No possibility of parole. But he, he's smiling. I said, boy, you're smiling. And he goes, yeah, people tell me that all the time in here. And then I say, yeah, ask me why. But I noticed that as soon as he had a Bhagavatam set in his room, and he was chanting 64 rounds a day, he didn't feel in so much anxiety anymore. After all, he's wearing an orange jumpsuit, keeps his head shaved, and very regulated. They have to get up at the exact same time every day. There's no choice about it. So there's a possibility in any situation that um, one with the right paraphernalia and the right habit patterns, which means to have... Krishna's paraphernalia, be surrounded by Krishna's paraphernalia, and to become attached to hearing and chanting. So I saw one, I've seen, um, you know, many brahmacharya ashrams very simple. They just, you know, have a simple place. Actually, many homes, very simple. They don't need a lot of accoutrements, but one thing is the Bhagavatam isn't there. It can be a big fancy house. You can look in architectural digest and see many fancy houses. But I guarantee you, if you live in those, it's just another house. It doesn't matter, big or small. If the Bhagavatam isn't in the house, big or small, then it's, it's uh, a place of anxiety. And if the Bhagavatam is in the house and the devotees are reading it, then big or small, devotees, the people inside are going to be happy. It's the choice of habits and the trend and the vibration that that transforms a place and makes it either miserable or happy you can go on vacation in the most beautiful place in the world but if you don't have some sadhana when you're there 
or you don't have an opportunity to associate with devotees or do some service, then it's, it's actually a suffering condition, even more than being in a hellish place because you keep thinking, I should be able to enjoy here. Why can't I? So the secret of life is to dedicate one's senses to please Krishna's senses and in every situation to organize the environment so that one can be a servant of Krishna and one can keep the vibration going constantly. Do you agree with this assessment in part or in whole? Thank you.